the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimaye, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as life and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Three to seven. Let's read that very quickly as we have done in previous services. Put it in any other version aside from the regular ones. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Do we have any other versions? Please pick it up from verse 3. Let's start from verse 4 actually. Are we ready? One, two, go. Judah is patient, Judah is kind, Judah is not boastful, Judah is not jealous, Judah is not proud, Judah is not rude, Judah does not demand its own way, Judah is not irritable, Judah keeps no record of being wronged, Judah does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out, Judah never gives up, Judah never loses faith, Judah is always hopeful, Judah and just through every circumstance. Alright, thank you. Now what we want to talk about tonight is um, the Christian's perspective on sexuality. The Christian's perspective on sexuality. Are we together? I asked the question, are we together? Let's quickly pray in a few seconds. Lord, as we look into your word tonight, we receive understanding and clarity in the name of Jesus. And we receive healings for wherever it is that there is a deficiency of health in the name of Jesus. We will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. The Christian perspective on sexuality is the conclusing part of the series Love um, marriage and modern society. Many people have tried to separate or remove God from the discourse of sex or sexual conversations. They try to separate God from it. They try to remove God from conversations about sex. And even in many churches, conversations like this are not discussed. There are two major reasons why some people may want to remove sex from or remove God from sexual conversations. The first is that some people believe that God is too holy to be involved with that kind of a conversation. Some people have defined or viewed or perceived sex or sexuality as something very sinful, very dirty, very unholy. And so a holy God cannot be, I mean, involved or engaged in that kind of conversation. So they say, well, you can just talk about sex, but it must not be in church. It must not be amongst Christians. It is not something that Christians should have as a conversation. Some other people believe that, well, sex is just like the regular natural appetite, such as food. 
And so, uh, really, it's nothing spiritual that should involve God. Anybody can do it as they like, as they please, according to their own perspective, according to their own orientations. Sex is just like the regular appetite, like you are drinking water or you are eating food. There is nothing spiritual about it. So some people believe that, well, God is too holy to be involved in a sexual conversation. Some people believe that God is too busy. I mean, he's too spiritual, doing so many other important matters to be involved in a trivial subject such as sexuality. But if you read through your Bible, you will understand that there are several instructions, several counsels, several commandments of God about the issue of sexuality. You cannot be a Christian and claim that God is silent on sexuality. You cannot be a Bible-believing Christian. You cannot read your Bible and claim that God is neutral or quiet or silent on sexuality. You see it from the very first book. Sexual issues are discussed. You see it from the very first engagement. And I'll show you the very first engagement that God had with man. Sexuality was part of it. You may not see it directly. Or you see, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, when God blessed man and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Listen to me, when God said, replenish the earth, he was already activating a sexual discussion. Because he knew that there was no way they were going to multiply the earth without sex. Are we together? So from Genesis chapter 1, the subject of sex comes into the discussion. The Bible is a holy book. The Bible is a divine book. But from the very first chapter, you see sexual conversations in it. And many people have tried to say very stupid, silly things. Some people say that, well, God did not originally plan for Adam and Eve to procreate through sex. That Adam was just going to speak to his wife and speak to Eve and say, be pregnant. And then she was going to be pregnant. But listen, no. If you begin to analyze the subject, you would see that every um, sexual organ was created by God. Before God gave the mandate of multiplication, he already designed how it's going to happen. And he knew it was going to happen by sexual activity. He had already designed that in his mind. And so when he was creating man, he made man with all the sexual organs and vitals that will be required for procreation. So sex has always been a discussion from the very beginning of mankind. And as Christians, we cannot run away from the issue. Just like I said last week, there are many issues that need to be trashed out. Many Christians don't want to talk about it. Many Christians will look for answers from wrong sources. And that's how we get ourselves into trouble. So we have to confront this issue, talk about it, trash it out, and get solutions to the several sexual problems that are rampant in our generation. First Corinthians 7, let's start the conversation from verse 1. And down to verse 6 thereabouts, and we'll also read verse 36. First Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now pause. If you read this verse like this, you can say, well, it's just talking about touches. Actually, what it's talking about, touch a woman, it's a sexual touch. Everybody says sexual touch. So it's not just talking about somebody hugging or somebody patting. When it says it is Good for a man not to touch a woman. He's saying it is good for a man to abstain from sex. That's what he's talking about. Alright, go on verse 2. Now we'll see how it is now. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality. So 1 Corinthians 7 was written to address the matter of sexual issues. Okay? Sexual um, 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 faithfulness, sexual immorality, sexual rights. 
So, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let's keep reading verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Now, you see, when you read again, affection due her, you may think it's buying chocolates and buying pizza. No, he's talking about sexual affection. The entire chapter is talking about sexual issues. So, um, let every man render to his wife the affection due her, the sexual affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. Go ahead to verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Go ahead to verse 5. Do not deprive one another. Now, once again, if you read deprive one another out of context, you might think it's talking about depriving of good food, depriving of prayer, points, and all of those spiritual things. It's actually still talking about sex. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of a lack of self-control. Verse 6. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. So, you see the conversation, Paul began to explain logical reasons why a man can get involved in the, the contract, as it were, of marriage. Now, let me say this. In verse 36, go to verse 36. Let me say this before I say what I want to say next. Verse 36 of 1 Corinthians 7. If any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Put that in another translation. Uh, because the KJV or the new KJV may not um, give you the, um, the modern um, concept as it were. 1 Corinthians 7.36, the NLT. If any man thinks that he is treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes, it is not a sin. Are we still together? How many of you have heard this phrase before? Don't marry for sex. Uh-uh. Are we in this world? If I ask you a question, please answer. How many of you have answered, I've heard this question or this statement before? Don't marry for sex. Am I speaking English or pidgin or what language am I speaking? What language are you hearing? Please, please respond when I ask the question, please. So you have heard that statement before, isn't that so? Now, in a sense, that statement is not entirely accurate. Oh yeah? Because Paul says in a situation where a man believes that his affections and his, um, his sexual emotions and sexual energies are becoming uncontrollable, the solution is not to break up. Paul says, let them marry! That's what Paul recommends. Paul didn't say let them go their separate ways. Paul didn't say let them go and fast and pray and cast out the demon of sexual passions. Paul said the solution is go and marry. So you see, the Bible never demonizes the concept of sex or sexual passions or sexual energies. In fact, it suggests that getting married because you don't want to commit sexual immorality is a justifiable reason to be married. Yeah, I'm not going to marry for sex. But I'm not saying that should be the only reason. Because for the person who is keeping this instruction, it's not just about marrying for sex. It's that he does not want to break the commandments of God. So instead of stealing sex and having it illegally, what God recommends is if you are treating your fiancé or your fiancé improperly, the word improperly is not that he's beating his fiancé or he's insulting his fiancé, but that the sexual energies are not being curtailed appropriately, the solution here is get married. And he says he has not sinned. He has not done anything wrong because he married for that reason. Are we still together? So the Bible does not give an impression that, you know, sexual emotions and sexual energies should be permanently subdued 
it suggests that marriage is a means for sexual gratification, for legitimate sexual gratification. In verse 3 and 4, it speaks of the affection that is due a husband. The affection that is due a wife. It doesn't speak about it as though the husband and the wife are canal people. It says it's your right. If you're going to have intercourse in the marriage union, it's your right. It's a good right. You can experience that. There's no, God does not look down on you when you're having intercourse with your spouse, husband and wife and say, ah, you're very canal. That's not how God sees it. Because that's one of the reasons marriage was created. Look at what it says in the NLT. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. God calls it sexual needs. It's a need. Are we together now? Now, you see, if you don't understand the biblical perspective of this issue, you will begin to go in the extreme that suggests, ah, sexuality is demonic, it is evil, it is satanic, we shouldn't talk about it. Meanwhile, God describes it as a need. A need that he commands the husband and the wife to satisfy in the borders of marriage. So no, you cannot read the Bible like this and come to a conclusion that the Bible is silent about... Now, you see, there are many people who assume that God is silent. And so they begin to get sex education, get sex counseling from unbelievers. What is in the Bible is sufficient instruction, sufficient counsel for marital sex. But many people don't know. They think the only thing that is in the Bible is about how to make heaven. Many people don't know. So, the Bible is not quiet or silent about the topic of sexuality. Now, one of the reasons you cannot separate God from sexual discussions is that God is the creator of all sexual organs, all sexual systems, all sexual hormones. God is the creator. The whole idea of sexual pleasure, sexual ecstasy, sexual excitement would have not even existed if God was not generous enough to create our body to be able to enjoy sex. It was out of the generosity of God that God designed our bodies to be able to experience sexual gratification. So, human sexuality is actually an experience that happened because of the gift of God, because of the grace of God, because of the favor of God. Sexuality is not an human invention. Huh. I know because there was no way they were going to procreate. Listen, if there was no plan to procreate, you can say sexuality was an human invention. But because God commanded procreation, that means he already gave sexuality, sexual intercourse within marriage as a commandment. There was no way they were going to fulfill the commandments and the mandates of dominion without sex. Are we together? So in a sense, sexuality is actually a commandment. <laughs> you can separate God from the conversation because he designed our bodies that way. All the female and male sexual hormones were put in there by God. All the genitals were put in there by God. So you cannot now say, let's just talk about sex according to our own definition, our own perspective, our own orientation. No, you did not make yourself... You didn't create yourself. God designed your body. God designed your hormones. God designed your feelings. 
And so you cannot have that sexual conversation without God involved. Many people really don't talk about God, about their sexual urges, their sexual appetites, their sexual struggles. They feel it's too much to say. It's too dirty a conversation to have with God. God, this is how I feel about my sexual struggles. Um, I feel drained out. I feel overstretched. I feel tempted. Many people don't talk like that to God. Everything is just Ramano, But what God calls it is sexual needs. And it's not your fault that you have that need. He may do that way. He may do that way. It's part of your makeup. It's part of your original design. So, you have that kind of an issue. You're struggling with sexual loss, struggling with sexual temptation, and you cannot talk to God about it. It's because you are probably drifting in this dimension of thinking that suggests sex is too dirty a conversation to have with God. And let's just talk about how to make heaven and how God should bless us. Are we still together? So, although sexual pleasure and sexual gratification has become an idol in modern society, where people do everything, including legitimate things, to experience sexual pleasure, fundamentally, it's a reality, it's a pleasure that God gave as a gift to mankind. Not just for procreation, but also for pleasure. God is very deliberate about meeting the needs of of human beings is very deliberate about it. Very deliberate about it. And one of the gifts of God is marital sexual pleasure. Everybody say marital sexual pleasure. Alright. So since God designed our bodies to be able to function sexually, God is the only person that has the right to instruct us on how to use our bodies sexually. You don't have the right to instruct yourself on how to use your body sexually. You may say, but it's my body. It's not really your body. It was created by God and redeemed by Jesus. So you can't just say, it's my body, my body, my rights. I will do what I like with it. No. You did not make yourself. How about you became conscious and you noticed that you didn't have a genitalia? There are people that were born with such deficiencies. Didn't have a male reproductive organ. Or perhaps what they have is very bad in terms of functionality. Now you have a working one, you have a healthy one. What you should do is to say, how exactly is it supposed to be used? Based on the person who created it. Not how you feel, not how you like. Don't say it's my body, it's my body. No, 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 no. no. Ask the person who made it. Ask the person who purchased it and say, how am I supposed to use it? So you see that the conversation is a very spiritual conversation. Sexual conversations are spiritual conversations. Why? Because it originates from God. It originates from God. Alright. Are we still together? Now, all the instructions and commandments that God has given towards sexual purity and sexual sanity, particularly within the marriage union, is for the good and the benefit of man. All the instructions of sexual purity and sexual control in the word of God is for the good of man and the ultimate good of society. Many people think that the instructions of God is to curtail man 
and to suppress man's pleasure. Some people believe that God does not support anything that gives man's pleasure. Say, ah, if he can give pleasure to man means God hates it. God does not like it. That's not the idea. (laughs) No, he created sex. He created it for procreation and for pleasure in marriage. But even good things that are not used orderly will cause destruction. One of the reasons why God had to restart the world and start again with the generation of Noah was because of sexual issues. We are not too clear depending on the theology that you want to subscribe to. Some theologians believe that it was angels, fallen angels, that had sexual intercourse with human beings and began to produce a breed that was defective, that was satanic as it were. And God saw in Genesis 6 that the entire world was filled with this kind of human beings. The Bible called them great men, giants in the land. And so God had to now destroy the world with water because of this issue. If you see God giving instructions of sexuality to human beings, it's to preserve mankind. It's not to suppress our pleasure. It's to preserve. Are we, are we still together? So don't take the instructions of sexual purity as God trying to suppress human's pleasure and does not like anything that has to do with sex. It is irritating to him. It is disgusting to him. Don't take it like that. God is trying to preserve the world. Make society sane. Now, I've seen how the world is drifting because of sexual liberalism. And we have no idea how terrible things will become. Beyond the issues of sexually transmitted diseases, that's not even an issue in the real sense. Because you may think that that's the worst case scenario of sexual perversion. That's nothing compared to the disorderliness and the chaos that will happen in the next 50, 100 years when we allow sexual liberation to control the society and the nations of the world. One of the reasons why God warns against sexual immorality and sexual disorderliness is because of the bond that sex creates. And he knows that that bond is a sacred bond. You may just see it as an exchange of, I mean, sexual organs. You may see it as an exchange of sexual fluids. You may see it as an exchange of sexual pleasures. But there is a bond that sex creates... And that bond is a very strong bond. Just like there's a bond that is between a mother and a child in the physical, seen in the umbilical cord. You may just think, it's just a physical thing. Uh-uh, there's something stronger than that. You can just say it's just the umbilical cord. There's something stronger than that. There's a solical tie between a mother and a child. A strong bond. You may, you may not see it. You may not be able to touch it. But it's in the original design of God. The same way sex creates bonds. So once there is sexual disorderliness and the bonds, as it were, are scattered, the psychological (laughs) disorderliness that will come with that reality, I don't even think emotional scientists have researched it and can understand it. They may not be able to understand it, actually. (laughs) People are bonded in several places their minds, because according to First Corinthians chapter 6, let's quickly see that. I would like to see the word that Paul uses exactly to describe this reality. First Corinthians, I'm not sure if it is 6 or 5 now. 
Corinthians 6, 15 and 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Everybody say members of a harlot. Certainly not. Do you not know that he that is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And although that quotation was a marriage quotation, he's also describing what happens in sexual bonding. The two shall become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. And so God has ordained that Adam and Eve, one flesh, one flesh, one flesh, one flesh. But now Eve has four sugar daddies and five boyfriends. And so there is a confusion. This confusion may never be analyzed effectively in physical parameters or by physical parameters. But in, in the realm of substance, spiritual substance and reality, there are so many awkward, disorganized bonds that will cause for chaos in the soul and at society or in society at large. So God says, there is a oneness and a bonding that happens when sex happens. So, ensure that sex only happens in the confines of marriage. But, liberal man interprets that to mean God doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves. We are going to have more than one wife and have 17 wives and 15 concubines. And many great prophets of God or many great men of God were involved in things like this. David and Solomon. But all of that was creating a perversion of human society. A corruption. And this is what God is trying to avoid. So that's why he gives sexual instructions. He gives sexual commandments to preserve the sanctity of human society. Are we still together? Or right, let's move on here. The sexual purity standards expected from Christians is very high. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was teaching against adultery. But he said that, well, you have heard that it was said of old, if you take another man's wife, you have committed adultery. But I say to you, if you look to her, to lust after her, desire to have her sexually, you have already committed it in your heart. What we are saying here is that, you see, for the Christian, the sexual purity standard is high. It goes beyond what happens with your genitals. It extends to what happens in your eyes, what happens with your heart, what happens in your mind. High standards. Everybody say high standards. Now, because the standards are high, we have also received sufficient supplies by the Holy Ghost, eternal life, the Word of God. All of these supplies would make this high standard achievable. So there is an expectation for every Christian to meet up with the standards of God for sexual purity. There is an expectation. You are born of God. You are a child of God. You have the Holy Ghost. It's not just to speak in other tongues. There is an expectation that you will be able to meet the demands of God for sexual purity. And you must start seeing yourself as that. I am a child of God. I am able to meet God's demands for sexual purity. Including, don't lust after a woman that is not your wife. Oh yes, I have been equipped with everything required to meet God's standards for sexual purity. The Holy Ghost in you is to help you to meet the demands of God. Particularly in the New Covenant, where God is giving instructions and also giving help 
alongside the instruction. God will not just give instruction, He gives you help alongside that instruction. So that you have no excuse whatsoever to fail. Say this after me, I have no excuse. Say it louder, I have no excuse. Say it louder, I have no excuse. If you have noticed, sexual issues are obviously very, very, um, let me use the word loud in many Christian circles. What I mean by loud is that if somebody commits a sexual sin, the reaction to it is not the same as somebody committing maybe a sin of theft. How many of you agree with that? Okay. Usually, if somebody gets pregnant out of wedlock, the way you go look at them will different from person where they suffer from anger issues. Now, both of them are sins. And then, you may say, ah, both of them are sins. Why do we respond to sexuality or sexual issues this way? We are seemingly outrageous. Uh, I can't remember the last time somebody was punished in church or disciplined in church because of the sin of covetousness. But probably if somebody is a fornicator or an adulterer, you might want to see that there is a punishment given to the person. It's just what happens in regular church environment. Now, somebody may say, well, that is not true or that is not correct or that is not appropriate. All sins are the same. If you are having anger issues and you are having sexual issues, both of them are sin. And so you should be treated the same way. But listen to me, that is not correct. The Bible actually puts a stress and an emphasis on sexual sins. Yes, the Bible does. So if you see that in Christian community, there seems to be um, an excessive reaction from sexual sin. It's actually what it's supposed to be. Is the right thing because that's the biblical standard. First Corinthians chapter five. We'll go back to First Corinthians chapter six also, but let's read First Corinthians chapter five. Now it is reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named amongst the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Once again, the phrase has his father's wife is not that a man held his father's wife's hand. It is that he had her sexually. Are we still together? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Now, so what Paul was expecting by this sexual sin was mourning. Everybody say mourning. That he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I was present. Him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> look at you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that is a very powerful matter. It's a very serious matter. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. There is, no other ins- there is no other sin in the New Testament that seems to attract this kind of reaction from Apostle Paul. It was a sexual sin. So when you say, eh, all sin is the same. Sin is sin. <clears throat> That's not the way Bible, the Bible talks about it. Yes, sin is sin. But you see, the impact, the weight of sin differs. Sin is sin, but the weight, the effect, the impact, it differs. So deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, he now says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Listen, the emphasis here, the dominant one here is sexually immoral people. 
He mentions a few other things in verse 10. It has certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, extortioners, idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you to keep company, whether not to keep company with anyone named the brother. Everybody say brother. Who is sexually immoral. Now that's the first thing he mentions. But he goes to mention covetous, idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. Now all these are sins too. But you notice that the first one mentioned is sexual immorality. And he says don't keep company with people like that. Fundamentally it's addressing sexual immorality. He mentions covetous, idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. But we see that from the context of the chapter, the issues were sexual. First Corinthians chapter six. Verse eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. Everything that a man does is outside the body. Somebody say all sin is the same. All sin is the body. Listen to Paul here. Listen to Paul here. Listen to the word of God here. Every sin that a man sins is outside the body. But if you commit sexual immorality, sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you whom you have from God? Paul didn't say, every sin you sin is also a sin against your body. No, he emphasizes sexual immorality. This is the scriptural emphasis. So there, there's obviously a legitimate noise around sexual sins. And although some people take it to the extreme, you see that there's a biblical foundation for such kind of noise. Are we still together? And that should be the normal Christian life. These days, I, like Paul said, where is the morning? Nobody is mourning. A minister of the gospel, a minister of the gospel was accused, he was not even accused, there was an evidence that was brought publicly about the sexual sin he mourned for two days and came back and said, Grace has justified me. Ah! I wish Paul was alive. Oh <laughs> dear Lord. Like, nobody you go tell us when the morning go finish. Now you drum. Now you mourn. Now you want to go and tell me when the morning go finish. Nobody you. In 1 Corinthians 5, after that happened, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reentreated the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul now had to now say, eh, release the guy, you make him no go over moon. This one moon for two, three days. I said, ah, there is no condemnation. Hi. Hi. It's because there is disorderliness in the world. Because I'm very sure those kind of people don't even pastors. They don't even go to churches. They just go and sing and preach from one place to the other. <laughs> so they are, they are their own government. Are we still together? So, the emphasis on sexual sins in scripture justifies the noise we seem to have on that matter. But, let me now begin to address a few other delicate issues. There is a way the church can speak about sexual sins or sexual issues or sexuality in a way that does not affirm our identity as partakers of eternal life. And for me, this, I think, is the biggest problem in our sexual dealings or sexual conversations. There's the way we can talk about sexuality in a way that does not affirm our Christian identity. When Paul wrote 
concerning the issue that happened in Corinth, he used certain exclamations, certain expressions, to suggest that it was a very weird thing. It was a very terrible thing. It was a very unexpected thing. He says, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know you have been bought with a price? And that you should glorify God in your body? His expressions suggested shock and disappointment. And like, what? Because in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 5, he even suggested that even amongst the hidden, that is amongst unbelievers, such sexual sins were not even recorded. They were not even supposed to happen amongst unbelievers. How much more amongst tongue-talking Corinthian Christians? For Paul, it was outrageous. So he says, I was expecting you guys to mourn. But rather you are puffed up and acting like nothing has happened and now we are all cool. So there's a way we can react to sexual sins or talk about sexual issues without affirming our identity as partakers of eternal life. And this is where we often miss it when we are having sexual conversations as church people. Listen. Many times in meetings like this, the conversation goes in a direction that is not healthy. We seem to lament much as though there is no hope. We seem to rebuke and warn and threaten as though there is no genuine motivation for sexual purity. In fact, people begin to say things like, Ah, do you want to catch HIV inside church? HIV is supposed to motivate us for sexual purity inside church? No, 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 no. Do you know how many sexual diseases that exist in the world today? Hey, be wise, be careful. When we hear this kind of conversations, you, you, you know that that's not the way the Bible talks about this matter. No, no. That's not the tone in which the Bible uses to describe or to converse on sexuality. So one of the things we must avoid after establishing the Bible's perspective on sexual purity is to discuss sex with a different tone from the scriptures. There is a tone. There is a language, as it were. There is a stress. There is an emphasis on sexuality that the Bible teaches with. And we must maintain that tone. Now, the modern tone about sexual sins and sexual failures in the church today is summarized in the following statement. Number one, everybody is doing it. There is this reaction that follows after somebody fails sexually that seems to suggest everybody is doing it. But listen to me, everybody is not doing it. When Paul heard that this man was sleeping with his father's wife, he was outraged. He did not say, ah, well, everybody is doing it. He didn't say that. We must maintain the reaction of scriptures. Everybody say the reaction of scriptures. Some of us also say, we are all humans. Nobody is perfect. Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Now listen to me. That is not the reaction of the Christian. Now listen. In John chapter 8, where that statement was extracted from, that statement goes thus. You know, Jesus was going to save that woman. And so he said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. 
Let me ask you the question. Was that woman a disciple of Jesus? Okay. I'm telling you that if Peter was the one that was caught like that, Jesus would not react like that. The woman had not even believed in Jesus. She was not a disciple of Jesus. So, Jesus could say, well, all of you are the same thing now. This woman is, all of you are sinners now. So, the one is without sin. Cast the first stone. Do we get it? But for a Christian, if it was John or James that they caught there, that person go hear what though. Or Jesus will certainly save the person from death. But the lecture where the guy go receive. What? How is he not such a body in the temple of the Lord? Jesus will lecture the person. Like you're not, you're not like them. You, can expect, you don't expect to be treated like them. So to say, when a Christian falls, we should not say, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. You don't understand the context in which that statement was used. <laughs> and oh yes, there are people who have not sinned in that direction. Oh yes. <laughs> there are people who have not sinned in that direction. As difficult as it may sound, oh yes, there are people like that. There are people like that. All of us are doing it. We are all sinners. No one is perfect. No, that's not the biblical reaction. That's not the tone to respond with as believers. Another reaction that follows is God still loves us no matter what we do. That's not what Paul said. Look at the strict tone of Paul's voice. Look at the fury of his pen when he wrote. He says, hand him over to Satan. In other words, excommunicating. The idea of handing over to the adversary is to excommunicate from the gathering together of the saints. And he gave the reason why. Because that was the only thing that could provoke godly sorrow. That was the only way the sin would not spread in the church. He said, separate the man. He called him an evil man. He does not point and say, ah, we are loved of God. No matter what we do, God loves you. That statement is true, but it's a wrong medication for the patient. If somebody has cancer, and you are giving him Panadol, and you say, medicine is medicine. You are not a wise doctor. You are a quack doctor. You can't say medicine is medicine. So, the, the medicine for the, for the brother, who is not sorrowful, who is not mourning for his, for his sexual sin, is different from the medicine for my brother, who is so broken and so sad. Who does not want to come to church again? There are two different medicines. It's the same thing, but the reaction will determine the medicine. Are you following me? There are two different medicines. Ah, God loves us no matter what we do. That's not the medicine for the person who is not mourning the sexual sin. That's not the medicine. I know, you are poisoning him. You are hurrying up his death like that. People say things like, it does not affect our salvation. What's happened is in the flesh. What is saved is the spirit. That's a stupid thing to say. That's an unbiblical thing to say. Paul didn't react like that. Paul never said that. So where are you getting your authority from? Who is teaching you? That's not Paul. You, there are many true sayings that are not the right medication. We are not saying every sexual sin is going to automatically lead to hellfire. But to now respond with that kind of a statement and say, ah, this is why there is seemingly no more resistance against sexual sin in the body of Christ. Why? Because there is no biblical reaction. We all act like it doesn't affect our salvation. God still loves us. His love is reckless. 
People also say, it may soon be my turn. Don't judge. We say it like, ah, it's, you're, you're next. Don't judge. Oh, it can happen to you too. Not true. Hmm. Is, that, is that what Paul did? The Paul said, hey, it's true. This person has seen me too. I could have done it too. It could have been me. Let me not talk too much. Is that what Paul did? We say things like, may God help us. But what we are saying is that when we fall, may God help us to stand up again. We expect to fall. We actually rehearse for the failure day. Like, it will happen. The way it's happened to all the big, big men, it will happen too to me. I'm just waiting for the calendar, the prophetic timing. No. That's not the biblical response to sexual moral failures. Are we still together? The Bible warns against the pride of overconfidence. But if we keep suggesting that we are weaklings and we cannot cope against the world's perversion in terms of sexual immorality, that is not a biblical stand. This whole idea that on February 14th we have to organize ninth vigil so that you and me will not go to the club and fornicate is a slap on our face. We are not rated at all. We have to organize. Let's, let's do program on February 14th. Why? So that some people will not go to club. Who are the people? Christians? Born again? Tongue talking? We have to write on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Fornication is not a Valentine gift. It is a sin. You really have to remind Christians about that? Hey. Well, hello. Making it look like we have no resistance, as if we are helpless, as if there is no difference. Now, let me ask you a question. If an unbeliever battling with sexual immorality walks into our church where we are discussing sexual issues and hears us speak as though we are helpless, hey, God will help us. So, this thing they cut everybody. Now, why should that unbeliever give his life to Christ? What difference is he going to make? Your Jesus could not save you from sexual immorality. Why are you telling him to come to Jesus? Why, we talk like we are all helpless. And, ah, oh, <laughs> hey, come on! Is that the way the Scripture talks about it? No. The Scripture emphatically affirms that it is your choice. Everybody say it is my choice. He says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. He gives us the reason. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Therefore, yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Yield your members. It is your choice. The Bible does not make it look like, oh, we are helpless. We are hopeless. There's nothing we can do. We are waiting for our turn. No. He says, yield your members as instruments. This is Romans chapter 6. Instruments of righteousness. Everybody say, I yield my member as an instrument of righteousness. Say loud, I yield my member as an instrument of righteousness. There can be no sufficient resistance and defense against sexual perversion, sexual sin, sexual immorality if it is not built on faith in the capacity of the new creation. Ah, there's capacity inside you. The Holy Ghost dwells in you. You see, that's why Paul, when he was warning them about sexual sins, he began to remind them of what is inside them. 
Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know what you carry? Don't you know who you have? There's capacity inside you. Stop talking like a weakling. Like, uh, there's nothing we can do. I'm just waiting for our turn. It's turn by turn. After pastor, then it's assistant pastor. After assistant pastor, it's choir master. After choir master, we go to my side. What kind of a mentality is that? They were not trying to distract you from sexual sins. Do church program every Friday. So you not go to Lala every Friday. Let's do program. Let's do program every Friday. So they will not go there. What kind of a life is that? And we are Christians. <laughs> no way. I will never subscribe to such Christianity. Never. Never. Now why did I get saved? What exactly have I been saved from? No way. Nobody can bully me to such thinking. Nobody can. Nobody can. Our sexual purity campaigns must be done supernaturally intelligently. All this, hey, you go get bele, oh, is ridiculous. You go get bele. That's why we are weak in the face of the contraceptive. Once they now manufacture drugs that can afford babies from two weeks old, one week old, we are now weak because our motivation is we go get bele, oh. So now we bele no be issue again now. Oh yeah, express. That's a, that's a daft motivation to have. A very dumb motivation. STDs and unwanted pregnancies and punishment from your church leaders. How many of you notice that it is only people that are pregnant that they punish? <laughs> or people that they cut? <laughs> if they don't catch you, they don't go punish you. So now, you just fight that you are not caught. Once you are not caught... There is nothing else. That cannot be your motivation. There is something else that should motivate you. They asked Joseph, why didn't you do it? He says, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Now that's somebody who has a smart motivation for sexual purity. He didn't say, hey, I know one give him Beleni. If you get Beleni, your God will kill me. <laughs> Joseph didn't talk like that. No way. Hey, HIV day for town. That's why I know wrong. February 14, you see them distributing condoms everywhere. You see Christians collect their own. Say, but you know be who do? Collect, collect. Disgraceful. Shameful. Are we still together? <laughs> the sexual failure of our world is fundamentally rooted in the absence of the fear of God and the conformity to the world's culture. Now let me rephrase that statement. The sexual failure in the Christian world, in the church, is rooted in the absence of the fear of God and the conformity to the world's culture. When Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness against God? He was thinking about God. That's fear of God. Fear of God, in a sense, is consciousness of God. You see, the more we have less consciousness of God, the more sexual immorality will multiply. Because people don't have sex in church. But once the grace is over, and it's not Sunday, or Wednesday, or Friday, we don't know what will happen under the roof. Because people don't carry God consciousness out of church, into their hostels. That's why. Joseph carried God consciousness into Potiphar's house. It was not morning devotion. Into Potiphar's house. That's why. Now you see, and of course I've explained this severally in other um, mature teachings, 
There are some things I don't say generally. But in my church teachings, I try to explain how the secularization of the church has stolen the divine consciousness from amongst us. How we do many hippie things, many fun activities, many not evil things, good things, but those things do not enforce the consciousness of divinity. Sawama night, Jesse Sunday. All of those things are not bad things, they are not sinful things, but once they enforce the consciousness of humanism, we steal the consciousness of God. So, many people still come to church and don't touch God, don't hear God, don't sense God. Because most of what is done is humanistic. It's not divine. When Jesus took Koboko and flogged people away from selling and buying in the temple, it's not because buying and selling was a sin. It's because that place they were doing it, buying and selling was not supposed to hold there. There are some things that must not happen in church. Not because the thing is bad, but because it is church. Only God things happen in church. Are we getting it? Only divine things happen in church. You can do something else elsewhere. But in church, church is the house of God. House of God. House of God. It's not the house of men. No. It's not a social gathering. It's the house of God. The ground and the pillar of truth. That's how First Timothy um, 2 describes it. So, when we conform to the culture of the world, now, this is a very salient point, we begin to have the experiences of the world. When the church conforms to the culture of the world, we begin to have the experiences of the world. One of the dominant experiences of the world today is sexual perversion, lack of self-control towards sexual energies and sexual emotions. All that reality is also reflected or reflecting in the church of God today because the church is conforming to the culture and the standards and the perspective of the world. When the world woos the church, the world does not woo the church with bad things. When Satan uses the world to toast the church, Satan does not use bad things to toast the church. He uses good things that are not from God. Humanistic things. Brilliant ideas. Wonderful suggestions. But as long as it is from mankind and not from divinity, it is not healthy for the church. I will explain. Now let's begin to deal with this issue of the culture of the world in bits. I want you to do a very simple survey of what you watch in your six hours of media experience. What you watch. Compare it to what the unbeliever watches. Your news feeds on Instagram, your news feeds on Facebook. Now compare it with what the unbeliever watches. Do a survey on the kind of movies that you watch compared to what the unbelievers watch. Do a survey on the kind of music you listen to, compared to what the unbeliever listens to. Do a survey on the kind of events you attend, compared to the kind of events the unbeliever attends. You will now understand why their experience is your experience, even though you are called Christian. It's not difficult. It's a simple statistic analysis. Simple statistic analysis. 
you will now understand why, oh, their struggle is a struggle. It's not difficult. Just check what is feeding you. Check. If somebody go and eat from Iyabiliki restaurant and is purging, and you come there and eat from there, what do you expect to happen to you do? You say go purge. Say no, my stomach gets extra immunity, I lie. You say go purge. Because you are eating from the same restaurant. And the Christians say, I don't know why I'm having this kind of feeling. The way my body is doing. Ah. Let's check now. Check your phone. Let's start from a music list. Yeah, let's check. Then let's compare it to the unbeliever. Let's check. You really think you are going to feed from the same place and have a different experience because you had the Holy Ghost? Nope. 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 That's not how the Holy Ghost works. No, no, no. That's how the Holy Ghost works. You watch what they watch. The movies that is on their laptop is on your laptop. The music that is on their stereo is on your stereo. And you expect to have a different struggle because you speak in tongues? No way. No way. All the experiences of the Christian in terms of sexual struggles can be traced to whatever he feeds on. Whatever he feeds on. All the Moral failures of the perverse generation that we currently live with is a product of what they feed on. If we eat where they are eating, we would have the same experience. There's no magic to it. Have Holy Ghost. Come on Sunday. Let them lay hands on you. Let them pour oil on your head. You will have the same experience. Why? You are feeding the same thing. I've told you. Two hours. See, why don't we teach you like this in one hour, one hour, 30 minutes? It is so that you can know what to do. Tomorrow where there's no church. But what you people do? You take one hour, 30 minutes and say, Motiyo, tomorrow I will do what I like. I'll come again on Friday. I'll do another one hour, 30 minutes. I'll do what I like again. No. What we are doing today is to shape you so that tomorrow, there's some things you will not hear. There's some things you will not watch. There's some places you will not go. That's how you can sustain and build Christian experiences. Well, you just come here, you take those two hours. You go, you do what you like, you come back again, take another dose, two hours. Mm-mm. No. No. So we cannot ex- exercise any restraint towards sexual sin. We cannot exercise any self-control towards sexual perversion if we are conforming to the culture of the world. Honestly speaking, are we still together? In this service, I will wound you. Because I know what many of you do. I know what many of you watch. And I will wound you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I will wound you. I want you to be angry. Tomorrow you will not decide whether you come to this church again. You will decide. But if I don't wound you now, the wound where you go collect later, hey, you may not recover from it. That's the truth. You may not recover from it. So it's better I wound you now. The surgeon's wound. Take it. You will bleed small, small. You go pay you small. Or your life will be better afterwards. You will heal. Are we still together? This magical illusion that what is important to the world is important to us, what the world prioritizes 
is also our priority. What the world chases after is what we chase after. What we define as right and wrong is how the world defines right and wrong. But suddenly when it comes to sexual issues, we'll have a different experience. Let's wake up from the dream. Let's wake up from the dream. How can we chase the same thing and have a different experience? How can? It's not possible. How can? We just believe, okay, we'll do everything they do except when it comes to sex. No! You see, sexuality is just the dumping ground. Sexuality is like somebody eats and he passes out feces. Everything that he has collected, he now dumps it out in sexuality. What you have heard, what you have said, where you have gone, your friends, your association, your ideology, your thinking, is what now adds up to the sexual act. Sex doesn't just happen. <laughs> no. Sex doesn't just happen. No. Satan begins with mind processing. Mind colorations. It begins to numb your conscience to certain things. Makes you indifferent to certain music. Makes you indifferent to certain movies. Makes you say, oh, when two immoral actors are kissing themselves on the TV screen. And then suddenly, you lose your consciousness. The fear of God begins to vanish from your soul. That's how it happens. And when Potiphar's wife shows up, you won't be able to say, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Because Satan has cooked, cooked, cooked. Anybody struggling with sexual sins is not juju. Many times, now there are sometimes it's not the case, but many times it is not even so called spirit of lust. What are you feeding on? Come on. What is supplying the energies? Let's remove it. If we remove it, you'll be alright. It's not possible to keep immoral friends. You see, when Paul says, Remove that evil man from amongst you, remove him quickly. How does that solve the problem? Hey! Sexual perversion is contagious. You cannot say, me, I'm a very good Christian, no? but all the people I hang around with, they discuss immoral sexuality, they watch pornography, they listen to lewd music, they attend lewd parties, but me, I'm, I'm, I don't do all those things, but I'm just part of them. I'm their friend too. You're on the load. If they load, you don't know. 98% loading. It's coming, wait, wait, you, you will get it, wait. And God help you, you should not be worse than them. Oh yeah. There are many Christians who have now fallen and their own is now worse than the person that introduced them to it. Some say, where did I even get it from? Oh, your association is transmittable, it's contagious. The same way the spiritual realities, if you stay around fervent Christians, your love for Jesus will increase. If you stay around immoral Christians, when Paul says, don't even eat with such a person, any brother who is still involved actively in sexual immorality, especially one who is not mourning, doesn't even eat with that person. He was trying to protect you because he knows it spreads like a cancer. He said, remove him from your midst. Remove him. It's going to spread. You now sit down there like chairman. I say, no, me, I'm fine. No. I don't know. I will control myself. Your own is loading. Wait. It's loading. It's coming. Are we still together? Much of the world has embraced sexualization. You see, advertisement of soap 
The babe goes stand like this. She will wear something that stops here. That soap they advertise, not the pants. Soap. Body lotion, look What is all there? Can't I put body lotion on my leg? In fact, the only place I rub cream is my leg. Why are you doing body lotion and advertising cream? What does that The entire world sexualized. Even, even banks now embrace sexuality to advertise. Everything. Banks, corporations, so to not be conforming to, to become worldly and to think when it comes to sex parts I will escape it you know what you are talking about the more worldly you become the more their experiences become your experiences because much of the world has embraced sexuality much of the world we see it in the music much sex sells very fast just gather some Dirty, nasty musical content, put it together, gather some ridiculous, good for nothing ladies, let them come and dance half naked on your music video, you will, you will win a Grammy. Sex sells. The comedian, nobody laughs until he jokes about breasts and gnash. Nobody will laugh. It will be boring. But once he mentions those things, everyone a broken, sick world. Check, check. The average comedian, especially in Africa, is very daft. Honestly. I hear that joke and I say, uh-uh, this one goes cool. Very daft. His IQ is very low. But because he, his comedy is about sex and breasts, people are laughing, paying money. Hey! Mediocrity sells. In such a generation, I've listened to intelligent comedians who have listened to very. Uh, in fact, their comedy will make you think. Ah, that's very brilliant. But many of them, they just go for what sells. In fact, if you are brilliant, you will not sell. So you have to start developing lead jokes so they can invite you to a platform that is th- attended by thousands. The wo- most of the world sexualized. Music videos, music lyrics. Comedies, movies. There is an event that I believe every Christian should mirror in Numbers chapter 25, verse 6 to 8. I believe every Christian should mirror this event, that it should reflect it, should resemble it, not in exact applications, but in similar attitudes. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Go ahead, verse 7 to 8. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent. So if you read verse 6, you will not understand. In verse 6, go on to verse 6. Verse 6 suggests it was a presentation. Everybody say presentation. Presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping. Go back to verse 8. 
And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through our body. That means they were having intercourse in the tent. Do we get the picture now? So the plague stopped among the children of Israel. This is a reaction of rage and fury to sexual sin. Many Christians do not react this way. Nobody's saying you should take a javelin and kill anybody. That's what I'm saying. But when last did you off the television? Did you say, come on, this is, this is not, it's not necessary. The movie can be fine without this scene now. Come on. When last did you press the fast forward button? When last did you use your javelin? You will say, oh. Ah. Oh there was a plague happening. The man and the woman did not even know there was a plague happening. Right now, there's a plague happening in the modern society. A plague of sexual perversion. One man's javelin stopped it. One man's javelin. One lad, you just say, come on, this is not healthy. Switch it off. Come on. You sit down here and watch it. Use your data. So watch it. One last. Did you hear a vulgar... Especially you ladies. Ladies, are we still together? If a man dances to lewd songs where women are sexually are turned to sexual objects, I may not be too worried. When I see women, I say, now you denote like this, you can't follow the singer too. Follow Sharon for status. They lick lips on top of them. Now you did a yap like this. So your body no useful for anything. You said they dance with them. Come on, guys. Where's your javelin? Where is it? There should be holy rage. You see? But we, because we are more worldly, and to, to be worldly is to love the world, to tolerate their actions. It was the sin of Lot, actually, when he went to Sodom, although he was, in a sense, vexed, he was not vexed enough to leave Sodom. He still stayed there. Eventually, we saw what happened to him. There will be casualties. How angry? Are you, can you be angry enough to switch on your, off the TV and say, come on! Come on! This does not, does not play in my household. No. I don't hear stuff like this in my house. No, 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 no. Or do you just flow along? You know, we are modern Christians. Our own Holy Ghost understands. The, one, the version of the Holy Ghost inside us understands. You know, he knows how things Oh, Jassy. Where's your javelin? If we are not different from the world in ideologies, priorities, value system, a sense of right and wrong, we shouldn't expect to be different in sexual restraints and control. If you live in Sodom, love the environment of Sodom, Enjoy the goodness of Sodom and expect that your daughters will not be engaged to homosexuals. You are wrong. That's what happened to Lot. The kind of boyfriends the daughters had, they wanted to rape an angel. What a family. What a household. But when, it's not fault. Why did you bring your girls to Sodom? Why, did you, why weren't you stuck with Abraham? You wanted their green grass. You see, I've told you, Satan will not tempt you with evil things. He will tempt you with good things. 
There's grass in Sodom. Good here. But alongside the grass, there are snakes. There are snakes. You won't be told about the snakes. You'll be told, don't worry, you will have plenty pasture for your animals to feed. Meanwhile, there will also be snakes that will bite you and poison your life. Stop the love for the world. It's ridiculous. Many of you, you are crushing on perverse beings. Beings who should be praying for their salvation. Now, if they crush on. They're crushing on them. They're crushing on them. Huh? One second in hell, will you still crush, in, crush on them? If they don't get saved. We hope they get saved. People should be interceding for night and day. I say, God, save his soul. That's cool. And they crush for. Are we still together? So, the solution. Let us stop loving the world. We don't have to talk about STD. We don't have to talk about unwanted pregnancy. We'll punish if we get pregnant. If we stop loving the world... All the uncontrolled sexual energies we struggle with, you see them eliminate. Stop loving the world. What God is asking you, asking from you, stop loving the world. That's what is supplying that energy. How do you follow? How do you follow celebrities who five out of their seven posts is soft porn? How, how do you do that on Instagram? How do you have Nicki Minaj? Who can wear only pants and bra and snap a picture and follow such a person and you're a Christian? Which version of Holy Ghost did you receive? And she's just a celebrity influencer. Influencer called influencer. You now say, I don't know why I'm, I don't know where. We know why. We know why you're following someone. I, I think it was, I'm not sure if it's sneaky yourself, but there was a video of her. Doing one of those ridiculous round cheese stuffs. She was using vulgar language and doing all the F words and all of that. And acting very lewd. And her eight or six year old daughter was coming from behind. That one did not know what was happening. She immediately stopped and covered everything she was doing. She too is trying to protect her daughter. But you, you, now go and press like on our Instagram page. Even she is protecting her daughter. Because she knows that what I'm doing in my Peking Siam in life is boy. But you, go there, they follow him. If your papa don't like you, like yourself now. How about now? If Nikki don't like you, why you don't like yourself? See, uh, she, not, she was not protecting her son. She was protecting her daughter. You now go, you're now liking her, following her page. What are you looking for? <laughs> this Nicki Minaj matter. If you know what it costs for room, the I think it was the Pope's official handle that liked one of the sexual pictures of Nicki Minaj. I'm telling you. So when they asked the Pope, the Pope said that uh, it's not him who that is the person managing the account. <laughs> they have to do an investigation but eventually I can say emphatically after the investigation the world concluded that the Pope is very indifferent about sexual immorality very and of course many of the sexual laws being passed in the Catholic world and Catholic churches are firm gay bishops all of that 
Are we still together? Okay, let's move on here. What should be the Christian approach or the Christian perspective to matters like homosexuality? People say things like homosexuality, the, the Bible is silent on it. The founder or the writer of the Message Bible actually According to his secretary, according to his biographer, I think, who interviewed him shortly before he died, I found that this man really was quite neutral about sexuality, about homosexuality. And I was like, well, he did not believe that it was really a big deal and that sexual orientation is not something that the Bible is explicitly clear about. I've talked about the Catholic Church and how most of them are embracing the old concept Anglican Church, Methodist Church, many Orthodox churches in the Western world, some of the African connections with them are hard to sever ties because I mean, some of these African Christian leaders cannot even fathom the idea of being a gay bishop. The church has not dealt well with the issue of homosexuality. Well, we have not even dealt well with the issue of sexual immorality. How much more homosexuality? We are dead very poorly. And I will show you why. And I will tell you what we can do. We first of all began with the idea that it was possible for Christianity and homosexual passions to coexist. We believe that there is a version of the Holy Ghost that can actually be inside a man and it will permit a man to have sexual cravings for another man. We believe it was possible. It was a possible mixture. Then we graduated to the fact that those guys could actually come together and have an homosexual marriage. Then we graduated to the fact that there can actually be somebody who is clergy, a man of God, a servant of the Most High God, a preacher of the Bible, who can actually be a gay preacher, an homosexual clergy. And I'm not surprised if the way we are going we will soon go back to the days where people had sexual orgies in temples. May we not get there. But what, what happened? We began to say, some things can, can work together. This is how we started. Do you know that somebody can be a Christian and still be lying? Yes. Do you know that lying is a sin? Yes. Do you know that homosexuality is a sin too? Yes. Sin is sin I mean? Yes. That was the logic that caught us. You know, somebody can be a Christian and be having anger sins. Yes. You know, anger is a sin. Yes. What of lesbianism? It's also a sin. Yes. So, Christianity and lesbianism too. It actually can coexist too. That's how we kept on. We kept on. We kept believing it was possible for two opposite realities to coexist. Numbers chapter... Rather, Leviticus chapter 18, verse. Let's start from maybe 20, 21. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 21. Hmm. I'm not sure this is, this is numbers. Go to Leviticus, please. Leviticus, not numbers. Right? You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
You shall not lie with male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Everybody say abomination. That's homosexuality. Are we clear on that? Somebody says, the Bible does not say anything about homosexuality. That's what he said. You shall not lie with male as with, like a woman. He's talking about homosexual relations. Um, go ahead to verse 23 now. I'd like you to see something. Go to the King James. Not the new King James. King James. Good old KJV. Good. Let's read together. One to go. With any beast. To defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast. To lie down there to. It is. There are levels to this thing. He didn't call it abomination. He calls it what? Let <laughs> That's what he calls it. <laughs> so, why do we say all sexual sins are the same? No, no, no. If you read your Bible intelligently, you know that it's no. There are some that is called abomination, there are some that is called confusion. <laughs> so, we now began to say, Do you know a Christian can have the Holy Ghost and be struggling with lust? It's lusting after another woman has said, Yes, it's possible. Do you know a lust is a sexual sin? He said, Yes. Do you not? Let's turn it into a sexual sin and the Christians who can be struggling with it. And all sin are the same. This is what got us to this point. Do we get it now? But if you read the way the Bible describes these things, some abomination, some perversion, some confusion. How do you stand before a beast? <laughs> now, so we have. Somebody do a, a quick Google research and confirm how many sexual orientations we have in today's world. Oh yeah, very quickly. Oppo. It was LGBT before, but now there's bi, cis, trans, several, several like that. A man that likes sleeping with children, likes sleeping with animals, likes sleeping with his own uh, daughter. There are different like that. Just Google how many sexual orientations we have in the world today. Now, do you know what God calls all of that? Confusion. What I'm saying here is this. Our reaction, if you get the answer, just let me know. Just, eh? 46. Okwabi? Just wait. Give us 50 years. We enter 1,992. We have just started. Because what we don't curtail will grow. It will keep rising. We don't know anything yet. We have not seen anything yet. Ah, but they love each other. <laughs> you see, eh, until we begin to restore Christian reaction to this madness, until we look at this and they ask you, what do you think about homosexuality? And you say, according to scripture, it is Oti Yahweh. It will stop. Let me explain the psychology of that. When a Christian brother, a demon, comes upon his soul, I say, bro, haven't you noticed that the only guy you like? She said, you know, get any friend, will be girl. Now, guy, 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 you like fine boys, so. He said, bro, don't you think that you are homo? Listen, if the Christian brother remembers that when he asks his pastor, pastor, what do you have to say about myself? And the pastor will say, Oti Yahweh. He will say, hey! I rebuke that foul spirit. I reject that thought. But if you know that the pastor will say, 
Mm, you know, love is a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. The guy will now say, not true, sir. What's in there? That's how this thing continues. Do you understand? When you see God writing these laws and he distinguishes between certain sexual sins, and he said, This particular one, abomination, this particular one, confusion. He was trying to explain his heart to the people of Israel so that they will understand the weight and the gravity of that sin. But the modern church now says, mm, Let's not see like that now. That's why the thing is growing. We will soon have, maybe you will be in heaven by then, maybe that's what will happen. We will soon have an homosexual pope. It's a matter of time. It's, it's certain to happen. Certain to happen. Certain to happen. My personal views about homosexuality is that if somebody comes to meet me and is a child of God, a Christian, and says he's having homosexual tendencies, the first question I will ask him is, How do you know? Ask your neighbor, How do you know? Because somebody will say, I just feel it. Wait. Have you ever felt like slapping me before? Have you ever felt like quitting the church before? Have you ever felt like not praying before? Have you ever felt like doing something bad? Why didn't you define yourself according to that feeling? Why is it this particular homosexual feeling that you are not defining yourself with? Do you get the logic? How do you know? So when somebody comes out publicly and says, I'm homosexual and I'm a Christian, you've been having sex through the anus, right? And shame no catch you. You know read there is confusion. You can't come out, can't talk publicly. The problem is that the person does not need deliverance from homosexuality. First of all, he has not even fulfilled God's commandment of sexual purity. Because if he's not married, that means he has been having sex. So that one, first of all, has to, he wants to know that he has even first of all done something wrong first by having sex without being married. That's the starting point first. But if he says, it's just how I feel, well, I'll tell him that he has felt several other matters. And he has controlled himself. And so that this also should be put under his foot. That's the simple advice. Then I would attempt, if he cooperates, to expel whatever demonic activity that is whispering to his soul and lying to him. Because many of these things are strong demonic activities. I was reading the blog or the Facebook page of a particular prophet, Prophet Michael, Michael, I think, Michael Tumbo or something like that. And he had struggled with homosexuality and masturbation and pornography for so many years before he met Christ. And for some years, even after he met Christ, he was now giving a vivid description of what happens. This was even in a pornography event. If you know the demonic activity that happens in a pornographic event, the demonic activity that happens in the masturbation act. I had to copy the post and send to somebody who I know was just being lazy about our sexual sins. It's not like you cannot stop. But you don't know. Let me now open your eyes to what actually happens when this thing happens. The vivid description is scary. It's scary. I would copy and paste it on the WhatsApp group this night. If you know what demons do to get people to get himself involved in sexual perversion. If you know the joy and the ecstasy, if you know that they actually eat, they eat from that activity, that's where they feed from. That's what gives them strength. How many of you have played games where like a mouse is, is jumping and he gets life from certain things? He will jump and get a life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
That's actually what happens. That's where they get life from. That's where they get strength from. So they encourage you to do it because their life depends on it. They push you. And they tell you, God loves you. Do it. God loves you. God loves you. <laughs> That's what happens behind the scene. Let's do one last thought on the sexual perspective of the Christian. Christian modesty. Christian modesty. This affects dressing. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10 to 13. We cannot really talk about Christian sexuality without talking about the fact that many Christians are contributing to the moral perversions of today's generation in terms of how they dress. Now, I'll be particularly focused on ladies because if you check the biblical emphasis, most of the warnings against immodesty is towards ladies. Are we together? I will also show you the application for the guys. But most of the warnings and rebukes against dressings is towards a lady. So it's not because I'm gender biased. It's just the emphasis of scriptures. That's also because the woman's body is more sexual than the man in the sense that the features of sexuality are more in a woman's body. If you count the sexual organs in a man, they are lesser than the sexual organs in a woman. Do we get that? And look at this statement in Proverbs 7. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot. Everybody say, attire of a harlot. And a crafty hat. So the attire was the clothes and then a hat. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square. Lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, the rest is history. You can read it up. Listen, two things here. Impudent face, attire of a harlot. Okay? Sexiness is not compatible with Christianity. If you don't know, know it now. If your friends tell you you look sexy, they know it's you. Yeah. You are not a good Christian in their eyes. That's why they can tell you that kind of thing. If they give you that kind of compliment, they know it's you. You should be sexy only to your husband and wife. Are we together? If somebody else, if you dress modestly, and somebody now still decides to see sexiness, then that's their own problem. But let it not be from you. Are we together? One man of God posted a picture today. And one woman said, Is the lips for me? The picture, the man of God was, it was a rebuke, self. So the woman said, Why not lip you they see? And I think the conversation went a bit ugly because evidently it was a lustful comment. It was not even just a pure comment, it was a lustful comment. Say, It's your lips for me. That kind of thing. You understand? <laughs> it didn't become war for me. They shared them everywhere. <laughs> So there's what is called the attire of a harlot and the face of impudence. Sexiness shows that you are wearing the attire of a harlot. Not the attire of a Christian. The attire of a harlot. You, many of you don't know. You see, it is... Reverend George went to, to preach one day in Germany. And a woman came to him after the service and said, I really enjoyed your sermon. Even though this is a better woman. Yeah, you enjoy this woman? Bless you. What do you do? He said, what I do? Oh yeah, I'm a sex worker. 
Say, I'm a sex worker. Koyemi, <laughs> you are a sex worker. They say, Oh no no, I'm registered. <laughs> what is means that no worry. HIV will not catch you. Maybe they used to scream me. They have tested my blood samples. The government gives me an ID card. Charity organizations even donate to my company. I'm registered. And she comes to church and enjoys someone's. I'm trying to say that in today's society, sex selling is now being packaged. In the early days of the Roman Empire, a sex worker was like a fourth-class citizen. In fact, Roman citizens were not allowed to be sex workers. It was too insulting to the dignity of a Roman. So, it is slaves that do it. People that they took from war, that they permit to be sex workers and actresses. Now everything has become packaged. Somebody can still come to church as a sex worker. You get ID card. You get a website website and I are we still together sexiness is not compatible with Christianity stop dressing sexily it is not fitting to your faith I watched the video some weeks ago and the man was putting and he says how does a young man run away from all the sexual temptations outside in the world comes to church and meets something worse you see bullet for there, don't jam. You wear bulletproof, don't jam, don't jam. You can't come to church. Among his sister, sister, we're supposed to protect him. Now he got the closed eyes again. Which can Wahala be that? Because you want to be hot. You want to be hot, go to her fire. It's very hot there. Go there now. What's the problem? It's very hot there now. Are you listening to me? When you finish dressing, look at the Mirror and ask, is this the attire of a harlot or the attire of a modest woman? That's what you do. Don't ask your friends. Some of them are stupid. Look at the mirror. You get eye. Then according to what I've taught you, ask, is this the attire of a harlot or the attire of a modest woman? The term sexiness traveled by virtue of language evangelism. The more we said it, the more we got used to it. And so it shifted from a language concept, an expression concept, to a reality concept. You look sexy, you look sexy. So sexiness became a good thing because people began to say it. That's why I always say, don't stop complimenting. If somebody looks well, don't say you look sexy. Stop it. You look good is fine. You really think you will meet Jesus in heaven and say, Jesus, you're looking so sexy. The angel will go slap you. If he looks good, tell him he looks good now. Which one is he looks sexy? Are we getting it? But it began to promote because we were saying it more. Saying it more. So we began to take it as normal. That's why I've told you that cultures and kingdoms are, they, they are propagated by languages. What we say is important. What we, what we say is important. No Christian should dress seductively, and this does not apply only to the church environment, but everywhere there are human beings. Many of the things we wear 
are actually bedroom clothes. You know there's bedroom voice. There's bedroom clothes. Hi. I've seen pictures in churches in South Africa and Ghana. And I am scared. This is a church. People wear spaghetti without brass. They wear swimming suits to church services. Don't dress seductively. And this is not just a church instruction. Anywhere human beings are, don't dress seductively. Except you are in your house. And amongst your own people, your own kindred, please avoid. And even they tell women these days, as long as you see your children are getting older, don't be naked before them. All of these things apply. Are we still together? The question now is, what exactly is a seductive dress? Because many women don't know. I've had conversation with ladies and I say, don't you know this thing is sexually provoking? And they say, I don't know. This one? I don't know. So we have to say it with our mouth. Are we still together? In the woman's body or the woman's body, there are three zones sexually. There's a green zone. Everybody say green zone. It's a part of the body that everybody can have access to. They include from your, in a more conservative sense, from your upper knee downwards. Um, that's your feet. They include your arms. That's basically that, and your face. Basically that. That's why the average official dress of a woman, if she walks in a bank, you see that she wears a skirt that is below the knee, or at least on the edge of the knee. Okay, she wears a top that does not show her armpits. Because I will soon show you the zone that armpits belong to. That is, in a way, covers at least here. And then, above the, the breasts, now, we have green zone that can be seen. We have yellow zone. Yellow zones are not necessarily sexual zones. But they are things that are close to the sexual zones. Like the ties. Are we still together? What's happening at the back? Are we still in church? If you want to preach, I'll give you the mic. When I'm talking, you listen. Where was I? Green zone. They are, they are not exactly the sexual organs, but they are close to it. Then we have the red zones. The green, the green zones should be visible. The yellow zones, as much as possible, avoid it as much as possible. But it's not entirely as bad as the red zones. Red zone is the breast the cleavage, the buttocks, the vagina, all of those things are red zones. But your inner ties, now let me show you how this applies because I know you will not expose your breasts. But let me show you. If you wear a clothes that exposes the line of your breast, the line, you know the line? It is yellow, it is yellow reddish zone, it's orange zone. And the temperature begins to rise. Are we together? If you wear a skirt where your vaginas are not showing, definitely, but your inner thighs are obviously obvious. It is yellowish, orange, reddish. 
Application. Very simple. If you do a photo shoot, if, you, if I do a photo shoot, and in the photo shoot, for a man, his upper body is not a green zone, it is not a red zone, it is a yellow zone. So a man can walk half naked in the sense that his upper body is exposed on the streets. Nobody will stone him. Are we together? Nobody will stone him. He has not committed any exact breaking of a law, in a sense. But it is yellowish. So, some women are like, ah, why does this one not wear shirts? Are we together? If I do a photo shoot, and in the photo shoot, I am naked, but I only show my upper body, would your imagination be tempted to think on the lower body, speak as a woman being? When you do a photo shoot as a lady, and you are, you say, I want to celebrate skin, African skin beauty. Then you give us only this part. You don't know what you are doing. You are raising temperatures. Because what happens is that people now begin to imagine what's below. Do you get it? All of this is what the world has taught us. And we don't know what we are doing. Don't do a photo shoot and say, I will show my back. The photographer will snap like this. What are you doing? When you do that, we, we in minds begin to say, turn, 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 can we turn? And you are making men lost. Do we understand? Attire of the harlot, impudent face. There are clothes, if I wear a jacket, if I wear this trouser, and this trouser is transparent, is it a modest trouser? So coverage is not the idea of modesty. Say a cover, no means say modest. If it sticks too much to your boobs, gumbody thing, where the gumbody like this, po 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 po, attire of a harlot. Are we together? What is it? The world is going extra fitted, extra fitted. To buy gin for market now, but who me as a man now war? Everything that. To just wear normal clothes. All the calm and contours must show. Why? It's the sexualization of a generation. That body is covered is not modesty. If body is covered, and especially if you are gifted, nobody say gifted. If you are gifted in a particular area, you are now gone body or nothing. It is the attire of a harlot. We know you will not walk naked, but in a sense, Everything is graphically described already. Are we together? Impudent face. Some faces are impudent. The word impudent, check it in the dictionary, but it means it means lustful, lewd, immoral. You won't do photo shoots. You post like this. See, Satan is using you. You are a paid staff of the Republic of Hell. Some faces are seductive. Are you listening to me? No, but the clothes where I wear, the clothes final, it's not just attire, it is also face. There are some poses Christians should not be caught with. There are some facial expressions, as a Christian, you know, you're not supposed to show. When you marry, give it to your husband. We don't want, we don't marry you. Give it to your husband when you marry. Are we together? Some poses are seductive. Some 
Dances are seductive. Even church dance. I don't know why 70% of modern dance has to be executed by the buttocks. I don't know why. Is buttocks the only part of the body? Am I wounding you? I know by your answer. I don't want The surgery continues. Some makeups are sexually arousing. Yes. Oh, yeah. If your makeup is... Listen. If your makeup is... Makes you look like a porn star. And if you don't want a porn star, you can go and... You know, don't check. <laughs> Let's not make matters worse. <laughs> but a porn star... This face, kiss them with an impudent face, describes many of the things you see in sexually stimulating videos. For instance, tongue out, lashes loud. Uh, what else happens in those? A Jezebel look. Go and check picture of Jezebel. That's a safer thing to Google. Go and check it. Yeah. It's a Jezebel look. And those things actually... Now, you see many ladies say, uh-uh. Because you are not a man, you don't know. If you ask a honest brother that this look, what does it does it arouse sexually? They will tell you. Actually, when I see your face, I just <laughs> I just protect myself. Yeah, they will tell you. They will tell you the truth. If their conscience is alive, who? If their conscience is not alive, they will say, Ah, this is where fine like this. A real brother will say, It's not boobs and buttocks, but the way you the way your 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 face looks now with all these things. It doesn't look like Sarah, our mother of it. I, know. I can't look at the face and think of prayer. Or, or come to church. My mind will go somewhere else. Are we together? If my wife wears makeup, so everybody knows I'm not against makeup. But there are some makeup that is... In fact, there are perfumes that are sexually stimulating. Everything, the word is very sexual word. There are perfumes that stimulate sexual energies. So know what you are doing. It's not everything that is raining that you should do. Not everything that is raining that you go do. Confirm this thing. What's the history? Why is this makeup like this? Why, what is the history of this thing? And you see that it's temple prostitute attires. When I still like myself, I thought you say I go wound you. Some tones are seductive and suggestive. Rakunle. Eh, Every time bro, cool is on the line, your, 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 your voice go change. What's the apple? Broccoli, run! Stand to your feet, I'm done teaching. <laughs> Pray in the Holy Ghost for a few seconds. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. We've taken time. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Ramana Sheketeke Dobaradadas. Zikra Kobrandas Tekeke Kobrandadadadas. Jindere kobadistek renda brando steketeke lekete katayalabadas. Mandarabado seketeke tikrando franda tala katayalamanosha. Lembrosteketeketisuzindramrosteketeke le baradadas. Mandokrosteketeketeke Christo sondom randa dadadadabadas. Lambrokobadaseketeke kinom rando stekreke katayalabados. Lembros te que que nene crash to cobala da 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 
Hallelujah. Give me 60 seconds. Because I didn't touch the guys. Now guys, don't wear clothes that are also seductive. There are guys clothes seductive. For instance, sagging is seductive. Why? It's how many ladies here understand why your mothers will say, Don't wash your pants and dry it outside? Underwears are not supposed to be seen. Are we together? So when you bounce and your your, your boxers are showing, it's seduction. You don't know that they are the effect of seduction. Now, what is raining now is that people wear boxer like shorts and sit down inside an aeroplane and the thing will reach here. They say, Ah, it's just the way they dress. It's seductive clothes as a guy. There are shots that are that are modest. But when they shot, when you sit down, now here is top. And one gets down for here. One gets down for here. You say now fashion. Are we together? Let's give our offerings. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.